Okay, so it's Martin Keelan here again, and uh, it's another edition from the Shea meeting, and I've managed to grab a few minutes with Dr. Michael Klumpus, who, if we tried to schedule it, as he's just said, that wouldn't happen. So we're going to talk N95 masks. Now, in the States, CDC have mandated or suggested that you should be using N95s for suspected and confirmed COVID cases, but it took a while before that happened. So why do you think and where did the evidence come from that actually made them change their mind and start to suggest that that should be the case? CDC's starting point um, actually was in favour of N95s for the care of patients with suspected or confirmed COVID. And that, that was a carryover from their approach for any novel respiratory virus. Yeah, uh, that was similar in the UK actually. They did that it, it, right exactly. at the beginning, a high consequence infectious it, it, disease. Precisely, precisely. So that, that was the default. It was only when there was... Um, considerable operational challenges in the early days of the pandemic around supply yeah which was acute and desperate yeah. um, where there simply weren't enough n95s to go around uh, that people started to wonder if that was the most appropriate um, uh, guidance G- given the, the sort of the operational realities of if they're not enough to go around where do we prioritize and at the same time I think people um, borrowed from uh, conventional practice with regard to other common respiratory viruses, influenza in particular, where the, the, the standard of care has been to use a surgical mask or a procedure mask, and felt that in many ways COVID was behaving in a way similar to influenza in terms of transmission pattern, and therefore people divined that therefore a uh, surgical medical mask was probably uh, probably adequate. And so I think that was the initial, um, th- that's what for allowed for the transition. Yeah. And then I think the transition back to saying, well, no, no, uh, N95 really is the standard of care. It's most appropriate for a COVID patient. I think it was, was uh, t- two parallel tracks. One was the improvement in the supply situation, yeah. uh, which, which fortunately did improve relatively quickly. Uh, and the other was that simply the, the emerging science yeah. um, demonstrating with, with increasing clarity across more and more time that the virus is airborne. Now, as your recent paper suggested, or your recent discussion paper suggested, Many people are in the incubation period and therefore even more infectious than they are when they're actually displaying symptoms. And with a variant like Omicron around, there's that much of it in the community. They're coming into hospital with their fracture or some other medical condition whilst incubating. And that isn't the standard of care for those patients. And you're suggesting that when Omicron is now highly prevalent in an area that we should move to N95 standard of masks for everybody. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that, that's the tremendous irony, is that if you look to see where does a healthcare worker get infected, it's classically, it's not on a COVID ward. Yeah. And the reason is because if patients admitted with COVID, um, first of all, they are using high-level respiratory protection. They're managing those patients very carefully, and those patients tend to be at a later stage of illness when they tend to be less contagious. By contrast, um, particularly with Omicron with high community surges, the, the likelihood of somebody being infected with a cold COVID is, is so much greater. Yeah. So when we look to see where healthcare workers get infected, typically is in non-COVID areas, uh, taking care of patients who are not suspected to have COVID or look at interacting with a colleague who's not suspected to have COVID. And that's why our thought is that given the limitations of surgical and medical masks, that when there is a lot of COVID around, um, and that you want to stop in-hospital transmission, that is the time to switch to, to N95s for all practitioners to both protect patients as well as to protect uh, uh, one another from patients and from, uh, from colleagues. And that's exactly what you've done in one of your recent studies, isn't it? You, you switched everybody to N95 and brought a cessation to an increasing problem with Omicron down. Yeah, during the height of, uh, of the Omicron surge, uh, when we were having hospital onset infections uh, basically daily, and we were noticing clusters, 
we created a customer response protocol where uh, if we notice that there are three or more cases on a unit within a three-day period, uh, we put everybody on that unit onto uh, respiratory precautions, which meant that the healthcare workers were wearing N95s basically all the time. Yeah. And we tested patients daily. And using that strategy, we were able to abort these Omicron-based hospital clusters uh, incredibly rapidly. Yeah. So it did, did bespeak the benefit of the N95 as a, as a mechanism of source control as well as individual protection. I mean, and part of the problem in many hospitals, and certainly in the UK this would be the case, is that our ventilation systems are really not that great. We're not getting a large number of air changes. You know, I know in, in Australia they've had air conditioning-related issues as well, and you know they brought in portable HEPA filters as a mitigation measure as well. But for many people that's not always that possible. So switching to N95... It's possibly a method of source control if you have it yourself, but it's also going to stop you acquiring it from somebody else, pretty, certainly much more effectively than a surgical mask. Yeah, I think that you're rightly indicating that, that infection control is multifaceted and that there are many different strategies that one can lean on to try to improve a problem. So improving ventilation is, uh, is great. Um, often that requires massive structural changes that are yeah. simply not possible. So uh, using a HEPA filter is another alternative. You can get sort of appropriately powered and operating for the, the space that it's in. Um, vaccination, of course, is critical. We have good data now. Vaccination decreases the risk of both being infected as well as the risk of transmission. Yeah. So maximizing vaccination and boostering in healthcare workers as well as in patients is, is helpful. But at the end of the day, um, if there are still limitations to one of those the above, uh, that the point of, uh, of interaction in 95 uh, has proven, I think, to be powerfully effective for protecting the individual as well as for uh, diminishing transmission. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually can't understand the reluctance to use them, to be absolutely honest, because, you know, you, you have something that you can get properly fit tested and be confident that it's going to be as effective as you, as you possibly can do. And it's relatively inexpensive compared with the cost of losing staff due to outbreaks of clusters and, and healthcare workers. No, I, I agree with you. I think the, the field is, is governed by um, a lot of inertia and dogma about the, way that the ways we have done things. I think people have, have associations in their minds with the N95s about um, the sorts of scenarios they ought to be used with, and it's difficult to, to, to frame shift and say you could use that for a much broader kind of scenario. Um, the fit testing issue, I think, has, has, has become a bit of a, um, a double-edged sword yeah. because uh, it's absolutely true that, that to get maximal benefit from your N95, you should be fit tested. But I'd say, and we have data to show this, a non-fit-tested N95 is superior still to a medical or surgical mask. Yeah. And so if fit-testing is sort of the barrier to further use of N95s, um, it, it's truly shooting oneself in the foot because yeah. you should deploy N95s without fit-testing. You'll still get to a better place than with a uh, surgical yeah. mask alone. Unfortunately, in the UK, it's, it's mandated that if you're using that, that, that sort of mask, you have to be fit-tested. Yeah, oh, really? Okay. Same in the US <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah. Then, then the other factor I think is that um, people are still, in many cases, are wedded to um, historical hard shell N95s, which are, which are very uncomfortable to wear for long periods. Yeah. You simply can't do it. Um, and uh, the good thing is that there are many soft shell models now made by sort of first rate companies, uh, fully certified for, the, for, for, for performance, and they're very comfortable. Um, I wore N95 on my flight over here, I had on for 10 hours, uh, no problem. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's entirely doable. Okay. Um, and do you think that people will look at droplet precautions as, a, as actually an outmoded method of transmission? And, and will that go? Because I'm not seeing a huge amount of evidence for <laughs> droplet transmission, I have to say. Yeah. Uh, nor, nor am I. I think we've learned that uh, respiratory emissions occur in a range of sizes, but most of them are in the aerosol range. Um, all those 
emissions across the range of sizes can carry uh, can carry virus. That's true for all respiratory viruses. It's not just SARS-CoV-2. Um, and we have good animal data and human data demonstrating that uh, that that does lead to and can lead to transmission. Um, so I personally don't see a benefit right now to the historical dichotomy between droplet versus uh, um, airborne-based pathogens. Mm. And I certainly hope that the public health agencies will uh, will evolve in that direction. Yeah, there has to be something good out of this, and there are always opportunities to look back. It's just sometimes there's an unwillingness to you know, lose face and maybe make people think, well, they they stuck to a line which was wrong all that time. I, personally, I've never had any problem with saying that was wrong. We've learned more, and therefore we need to change. Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I argue that the, the the harm you do yourself by hanging on to an outdated um, set of practices in the face of increasing evidence is greater than the harm you might do to yourself by saying, listen, I wasn't quite right, and we've, uh, we, we now see things in a, in a more sophisticated and more nuanced kind of a fashion. So yeah, I, I don't think we should let past errors be um, stop us from making uh, future corrections. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Michael. I've really enjoyed chatting to you and really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you so much.